0: Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is brought to you by wellness. That's wellness with an E on the end. My new personal care line of products that are natural and good for you, hair care, toothpaste, hand sanitizer, and more. You've likely heard that much of what you put on your skin is absorbed into your body, which is a good reason to avoid harmful products. And I feel like many of us do, but you can also use this to your advantage by putting beneficial things on your body. Realizing that many of my closest friends and even family members still used certain conventional personal care products, even though they cleaned up many other parts of their diet and wouldn't dream of eating processed food or using harmful cleaners, but they weren't willing to sacrifice how they looked and felt when it came to personal care products. I set out to create alternatives that outperformed the existing conventional options but without harmful ingredients and with beneficial ingredients that benefit the body from the outside in and thus wellness was born our good for you hair care and mineral rich toothpaste nourish your body from the outside in while you hopefully nourish it from the inside out to have amazing hair and teeth check it out and learn more at wellness.com that's wellness with an e on the end wellness com. this podcast is sponsored by olipop natural sodas they use functional ingredients that combine the benefits of prebiotics plant fibers and botanicals to support your microbiome and benefit your digestive health of Americans consume more than the USDA's daily recommended added sugar intake, which is 30 grams. In fact, many of us consume way, way more than that. And sweetened beverages like soda are one of the leading sources of added sugars in the American diet. Olipop is much, much lower in sugar than conventional sodas with only two to five grams of sugar from natural sources, no added sugars. Here's an example. Their vintage cola has just two grams of sugar compared to a regular cola, which has 39 grams of sugar, which means one can is more than the added sugar recommended for an entire day. Their orange squeeze has five grams of sugar compared to other orange sodas, which clock in at 44 grams of sugar. And all of their products are non-GMO, vegan, paleo and keto friendly with less than eight grams of net carbs per can. I've worked out a special deal just for Wellness Mama podcast listeners. You can save 15% off your entire purchase from Olipop. I recommend starting with their variety pack unless you already know your favorite flavors. And the variety pack is a great way to try all of the flavors that they have. My favorites are the strawberry and the orange, but my kids really like the root beer. Check them all out by going to drinkollipop.com forward slash wellness mama and use the code Wellness Mama at checkout to claim the deal. That's D R I N K O L I P O P dot com. Slash wellness Mama. You can also find them in stores across the country, including Kroger, Whole Foods, and more. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from WellnessMama.com and Wellness.com. It's my new personal care line, Wellness with an E on the end. And this episode is all about curating a strong mindset in ourselves and in our kids. And I'm here with Mike Bayer, who is a two-times New York Times bestselling author. He is the founder and CEO of the Leading Mental Health Treatment Center in Los Angeles and considered one of the top life coaches in the world today. He's worked with A-list celebrities and high performers and everyday people, and he is an advisor to um, the Dr. Phil Show, among other places. His work centers around helping people become their best selves, and we go deep on this today, things like breaking through anxiety, stress, and fear, um, how to make authentic decisions, and how we can curate a strong mindset in our children from the get-go. So without further ado, let's join Mike. Mike, welcome. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, Katie.
0: Well, you come highly recommended by someone I love dearly. And I'm so excited to chat with you today, especially for all the moms listening, because I think so many parts of your message really resonate and are especially applicable to women and to moms, especially. And from what of your work that I've read, I think one area that might be a great starting point is the idea of handling decisions, because you have some strategies for this. And I think they're really applicable. And I think of all the population, I think moms have to handle the most decisions on a day-to-day basis. Certainly I get bombarded with questions and decisions all day long. So I thought this would be a great jumping in point on some strategies that you have on managing decision-making better.
1: Yeah. And, that, and that's, uh, you're right. I mean, especially when you have stress or pressure or lack of sleep, decisions really get affected. I mean, we make over 30,000 decisions a day. And some decisions matter, some don't matter. Sometimes we get really stuck on the things that are irrelevant, but we end up in this cycle or this loop. Sometimes it's because our parents ingrained in us, this is important. And at other times we're able to kind of just not feel like it's a big deal. So it really depends from my experience, a helpful tool is understanding what right now is causing the most stress. And sometimes it's really helpful to start there because what I've created is kind of like a simple action plan for someone who really wants to shift an area of their life, feel a little bit different, but usually it's good to kind of go, well, what's most stressful? And so once we identify what's most stressful, we wanna go, well, why is it stressful? You know, like, what is it about this situation that is causing fear or panic or, or worrying? And it's really helpful to understand, like, is it that bad? Is this situation that bad? And, you know, Katie, I, and having six kids and being a mom and the stressors that come with that, I mean, it's it's really... Depending on the day and the mood and the time and the energy, you're going to make all sorts of different types of decisions. And sometimes sometimes decisions aren't as big as we make them.
0: Yeah. And I love your idea of reserving the decision-making ability and the focus for the ones that do require more thought. I think Like with moms, I call it death by a thousand paper cuts. We get bombarded with the micro decisions all day long. So, some of those things, it's as simple as figure out natural strategies so that you don't get asked the same questions and have to make the same decisions over and over. Like, if your kids are always asking you to get them water, put the water cups down low so they can reach them. So, they're not asking you to get them water, or give them the ability to answer their own questions whenever possible so that you're not constantly the source of their decisions. But I think you're right. When it comes to making the bigger ones, it's really important to reserve that mental bandwidth. And to be able to give those decisions the attention they deserve. And I think that's kind of part of the impetus for your book, right? Your book is called One Decision, I believe. Can you talk about yeah. what that is and, and kind of using that as a starting point?
1: Sure. So I find a really helpful assessment to figure out what decision needs to be made right now is an exercise I created called the SPEARS. And SPEARS is an acronym. I love an acronym because they're super pithy and easy to apply. And so you could do the spheres with me right now if you'd like, you know, and I can we can do it with you and and uh, Katie you could we could take a look at it. So the first S, and what we're looking at is you're going to rate it just from a one to ten. You're going to rate how in terms of you feeling like wow I'm really content or at peace. It doesn't mean you have to have that joy, you know, like sometimes we believe we have to this extreme joy all the time, which just isn't reality. So your social life from a one to 10, you want to rate with how content you are with it. So you may not have a lot of friends, but you may also not want a lot of friends. And so maybe an eight and maybe a nine, or you may feel like you're lacking that community, that camaraderie, you know, other parents, that you really love to be around. Maybe you kind of feel like you're on an island. Maybe you don't wanna be on an island. So first you rate the S. Next is personal. The P is for personal. You rate it from a one to 10, and that's your mental health. It's how are you taking care of yourself? How is your anxiety? How's your depression? How are you looking at the world? The next is education or evolving. How much are you evolving? How much are you shifting and changing? And you know, when we're, when we're young, as we see with kids, they're taught so much, they're evolving so quickly. And then we kind of often stop evolving. We stop reading books. We stop getting interested or curious. We kind of get stuck with life. Rate that from a one to 10. R is for relationships. Relationships mean with your kids, with your spouse, with your ex, with your parents. Whatever relationships are really impactful in your own life. The E, the next E is earnings. So from a one to 10, how happy are you with how much money you have in the account? And S is for spiritual development. How spiritual do you feel? How much faith do you have in your own life? Whatever that means for you. So that's kind of a simple assessment to start off to go, all right, well, what area is kind of lacking? So Katie, for you, what came up for you?
0: Um, I'm making notes over here for anybody who sees me looking off screen. I feel like I'm learning to prioritize the personal side better. That was an area that was lacking for me for a really long time. Um, And I came from a pattern of kind of caretaking everybody else at the expense of my own mental health. So that's one I've been actively working on. Um, I feel like my strengths are probably in the education and evolving side because that's so in line with my work. And I think the ones that are probably the lowest that I'm working on the most right now are relationships and the spiritual development side.
1: Got it. And which—and this is good. So those are the two areas. And which of those are you most motivated to change?
0: Uh, probably the relationship side. I think like that's such a key of so many. I mean, it ripples into every other area.
1: Okay. And is there—I uh, don't know if you want to tell me—is there a specific relationship that you're wanting to improve?
0: There's actually there's a couple. Um, I don't want to give away too many details that aren't mine to share, but there's a couple that are really important. Yeah.
1: Okay. And, the, and in those relationships, would you say they're causing more stress or you're wanting more love or you're wanting more passion? Like what is, what would you wish it to be that would make it a little better for you?
0: Uh, it, in both cases, it's, there are sources of stress right now. And so okay. yeah, figuring out how to mitigate that.
1: Got it. And so in terms of what it is that's causing stress, this is like an assessment where I would go, all right, we've, We've dug in and we've gone, okay, here's the one area, because it's very easy sometimes to get caught up in those other areas that are really working. And it's not fun to take a step back and look at that area because there's usually some pain in it. There's frustration. There's like, I've tried everything, right? So it's like, we don't even want to dig back into that. However, my belief and what I've found is we're always just one decision away from bettering or changing or shifting any area of our own lives. And so, if that one area with relationships is causing the most stress, I would say, well, what is one decision that you could make today that would give you more peace in that arena? Do you have any rough, like vague answer?
0: Yeah, I think in one particular, it's gonna be related to boundaries It would probably be A big key. And I'm also, as you're saying this, I'm looking, I'm making notes over here. And it seems like there's, this is probably an evolving process as well, because you've got like almost like six balls in the air. And it would seem like when you get a couple figured out or improved, that might actually like cause some friction in a couple of the others until you adjust to that throughout kind of all these areas.
1: Yeah. Like you're right. One, one area can really trickle down like a plumbing system and it can cause some really bad water coming out of everything right because when one area affects us sometimes our spiritual development sometimes i find for people it's really good to start spiritually and to go what is a practice that works for me that keeps me balanced keeps me in faith because when we have faith and i don't mean religious faith when we have belief that it could get better that really helps with anxiety stress and fear so for some people i work with They're like, all right, I'm going to do a five-minute breathing uh, exercise and a gratitude list. And at night, I'm going to review my day. So for everyone, it's different. But we're all, like I said, one decision away from improving one area of our life. And I find that when we improve that one area and it's the right area, everything kind of gets better and more at peace. And granted, life's whack-a-mole, right? Like we're always hitting a new area. But it's either grow or go you know? And sometimes it's like, it is what it is. And we just have to make a decision to do what's best for us, which ultimately ends up being best for the kids.
0: And you mentioned anxiety, stress, and fear. And it seems like these are all kind of at record highs after everything of the past year and a half. And certainly these are things that I hear moms struggle with quite a bit, especially that anxiety is a recurring theme from a lot of my readers and listeners. And I think I've read a lot of your work. You have a really valuable approach to these as well. Cause I think often it's easy to get in this mentality of like, these things are outside of my control and now there's these forces and it feels very overwhelming. And so for people who are maybe in some of those states of mind, what are some tangible things we can do if we're in anxiety, stress, and fear to move beyond it?
1: Well, I mean, it's kind of like what I said, where let's figure out what is, what's, what's the heartbeat of this anxiety, stress, and fear, you know, like really sometimes we can get so overwhelmed that we don't even know, we're like, a, you know, like there's a metaphor, you know, you, you step on a dry leaf, it cracks, it gets a little moisture and water and it, it bends, right? And sometimes we get to the point where we're cracking over things where we're like, oh my God, why did I say that? That's not even that big of a deal. So it's figuring out what is that stress? And then what is that support? Community, as you know, is so key to life you know, it provides wisdom, it allows us to help others, you know, it allows us to mentor, it allows us to get mentored, even this podcast, it's like, for anyone, it's getting into that habit of like, finding wise counsel, and also giving back, I find that's a really good solution for anxiety, whether it's going through a divorce, whether it's, what kind of school your kid should go to, because I've worked with a lot of parents. That seems to be a huge stressor is like, am I choosing the right school? Is this the right school now? I mean, things have changed so much, like you said, in the last year or so. But I think identifying the problem is always the first step to navigating on our roadmap where we're going. And I find working with a lot of people for the past 18 years, they don't actually know the problem. They think it is what their brain keeps cycling, but unless you bring someone else into the conversation who's wise and can provide guidance and solution, we can end up just in that same cycle.
0: That's really interesting, that idea that they, so are they focusing on a different problem or they think the problem is something different than what it actually is and that's kind of causing a fixation rather than them being able to figure out what the root is?
1: Yeah, like, so someone could be, I I talked to someone recently, or this was last year, when I'm thinking of this particular family, they were very stressed about, am I choosing the right school for my kid? It was like, it was very, she was even crying over it. (laughs) She was so stressed out, am I choosing the right school for the safety of her own child? Well, if you peel it back, what she's really stressed about is making the wrong decisions for her kid. It's not even about the school and then when we take a step back and we go well what other areas are you afraid of making the wrong decision for your kid it provides more clarity to the whole thing otherwise the school is just like the external external stress but the real fear is about i'm afraid of making wrong decisions for my kid got it let's look at all the right decisions you've made have you made more right decisions or have you made more wrong decisions and because we're all stuck in our head throughout the day i find for a lot of parents they don't take the time to go, like, God, I've made so many great decisions for my kids. They, do, they don't do that. Instead, they're just like, on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. And that's what I mean when I say people are focused on, like, this is the stress, but it's deeper.
0: That's a good point. Really dialing it down to the root. Um, and you also talk about shifting out of a victim mentality. And I think this is a really important key of like some of my greatest teachers have been books, but people like Viktor Frankl, who I I looked at him as an example, you know, if he can choose that in such an extreme situation, like we all have the ability to choose the things which are in our control, which are our own responses and how we react in any given scenario. But um, I think this one really can be tough for a lot of people, especially for anyone listening with a health problem, because I certainly found Mm. myself going to that place when I was in the worst of autoimmune disease of that kind of like, why is this happening to me? It's not going to get better. And that's a really difficult mindset to be in. And I feel like it can be a difficult mindset to break as well. So what are your strategies for helping people who are there?
1: And have you you talked to your audience before about Viktor Frankl and what he did? And
0: Uh, A little bit. I've written about him some just as a a book that I love. Um, And I've also kind of delved into stoicism and to Marcus Aurelius and some of those works. But I, I mean, he's a hero of mine. I love him. So we can definitely talk about him.
1: Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, Nelson Mandela, you know, like you look at these extremes, I'm friends with um, Sabrina, who's Trayvon Martin's mom, right? Like I got lunch with her in Miami. I can't imagine what it's like to have your kid take, you know, their life taken, put in the public eye. Like she's, she's such a resilient woman. And like, I think it's very easy. The easy way in life is to be a victim. It's so easy. It's so easy because it doesn't require any insight into self, but the problem is you create a lot of suffering for yourself by being the victim. There is really no benefit to staying in this idea of victim. Like I, I grew up in a family where there was this like, blame and shame and, you know, as adults, we often have to Work on ourselves and relieve ourselves of kind of those things that we've carried for so long. But, you know, you can't be a, a victim and empowered at the same time. And if you think you can be, from my experience, it's wonky. It is off balance because it's really taking responsibility for our own lives. It's looking at what do we have the power to change? And it's also putting life into perspective. You know, like I've been to Kurdistan, Iraq several times working with Yazidi women whose husbands have been beheaded in front of them. And their daughters are sex trafficked and their sons were forced to join ISIS. And the moms are two hours removed from their homes. And literally like they're like our parents and they're living in like huts, practically like these little refugee camps. And they're like the nicest people. It's not at all what you see in the media, right? Like they look like you and I. And to me, I always, th- those are victims. Like of anyone that I've met, those are the people where I'm like, oh my Lord, that is horrific. And it's interesting how it's so tough sometimes for people to get out of that mindset. But God, if someone is listening who, feels like they're a victim and wants to change because it's kind of, it's toxic. You actually don't feel good when you're a victim, man, it's, it's a game changer. So what is something that you see with a lot of parents in terms of being kind of a victim?
0: Um, I think there's a lot that goes, well, I think there's a lot of building pressure on parents related to the academic side. Like you mentioned, or getting kids in the right school or the inability to make sure that they have the perfect future. And I think inadvertently, this has led to parents doing more for their kids and letting their kids do less on their own, which ironically seems to actually be hurting our kids in the long run because they need these foundational skills. Early on, they need to be self-sufficient. They need to learn how to work through problems. But instead, I think parents are so worried about their kids' futures that they're problem solving for them and short-circuiting that cycle of them learning the life skills
1: themselves.
0: Um, It seems to be a recurring pattern for sure.
1: So you're saying in terms the parents in terms of being a victim, the parents are a victim in the sense that they they end up doing what their kid needs to do, but then they like act like they shouldn't or like what
0: like doing it for them. Like for instance, um, when I was a kid, it was, I had an understanding if I messed up at school, I was going to get in trouble at school and I was going to get in trouble when I got home and my parents were going to back the teacher. And if I backtalked to any of those scenarios, it was going to be worse. And now I hear from so many teachers who have parents coming in fighting their kids' battles or being like, my kid needs a different grade on this test. or, yeah, And so yeah. kids aren't learning. I'm responsible for my own actions, which seems to be what you were talking about As the root of this is in the responsibility and being in choosing radical responsibility, we find freedom. And so it seems like we're keeping our kids from being able to learn that when we do that for them.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And my, my sister's a teacher and, uh, she's told me some of the stories of parents who, who come in where she's literally just trying to do her job. And, uh, you know it's it's interesting it's it's interesting how things evolve and change it's almost like our parents generation were tougher than our generation and we're tougher than the pre- the generation now right it's like where is this going to end up in 30 years right
0: yeah well and i think it goes back to that idea you're talking about too of like responsibility and i think maybe that's part of what's gotten lost a little bit in these generations and the extreme example of that being people like victor frankl who faced Or these women that you mentioned, like face things we can't even fathom, which put our problems in perspective. But for me for a long time, for instance, one of my internal ones that I felt like a victim in was I had a lot of trouble losing weight. And I've recently lost almost a hundred pounds. But before that point, I had this mental script of like, I can't lose weight. Why is this so hard? And I had mental excuses I could hide behind of like, oh, well, I had sexual trauma and I have Hashimoto's, I have thyroid disease, I've had six kids. There's all these reasons. And when I was able to shift my mindset for to being totally responsible and in control of that myself, and also being willing to face the inner work of working through trauma, I, I was able to shift that. And it, the weight loss part was almost effortless once I fixed the inner mental side.
1: Right. Right. Because
0: I was right. no longer trying to like punish and fight my body anymore.
1: Well, congratulations. That's, that's amazing. I forgot to add the H to spheres. <laughs> I, ended, I ended up spelling out spheres, but it's S-P-H-E-R-E-S. It's the first time I've done that in two and a half years, but I'm glad you brought up health because yeah, again, like, it, you know, making a decision towards anything has a huge effect on everything in life. And, and really, how do we take responsibility for our own lives? How do we not blame our past? How do we not blame our kids? How do we not blame the teachers? And how do we just realize that we're capable of really thriving and living and, and marching to our own beat. You know, it's, it's, uh, the cool thing I see right now with parents is there's a lot more creativity, uh, with parents in terms of like education, learning, teaching. It seems like it's a lot more flexible than when we went to school.
0: That's true. And I think maybe something else that could be helpful in this area, potentially you talk about avatars and I've mainly heard of avatars from Mm -hmm. Like as a writer, knowing who I'm writing to and having a very clear idea of my reader, basically as as a person that personifies in my head, so that I can write clearly and hopefully reach who I'm trying to reach. But you have a really cool way of using avatars, and I feel like this maybe is an area where it could be helpful as well with changing our mentality. Can you explain what that is?
1: Yeah, it's so helpful for kids, and I've gone into schools and done this. It's called the best self exercise, and essentially. It's identifying who our best self is. It's writing out the characteristics of who we are when we feel authentic. And then it's creating an avatar. So like mine's a wizard named Merlin. I have a wizard tattooed all the way down my arm. I have wizards all over my house. People get me wizards as gifts. But it's really about bringing your best self into any situation where you feel uneasy, uncomfortable. And the great thing is everyone creates their own version of their best self. And for everyone, it's different and, and the kids can do it. I've had so many families do this exercise and then you create your anti-self, which is the part of you that's getting in your own way right now. The part of you that just feels inauthentic, the part of you that feels like, you know, gosh, it's just, I didn't say that the way I wanted to say it, or this just doesn't feel like me. And you do the same thing. You create a, what I call your anti-self. Mine's a male witch named Angelos, because I think witches have no, male witches, like, I don't know, I don't remember a lot of male witches growing up, so I feel like they just complain about everything and they're insufferable. So, but it's really, you add humor to self-help, it makes it a lot more attractive to kids because like, even if, even if a parent is really upset and their kid sees them and the parent's like so angry, if the kid, like I had in the book, Road Rage Regina, which was this mom, whenever she got behind the wheel, she was just not a great, she was like an angry person on the road, and it affected everyone in the car. And essentially, it's if the kids can't go, mom, you're so angry. But if they go, mom, you road rage regina came out, it's kind of funny. And what it does is it allows us to make a conversation happen around self-help that's fun, that's creative, that's authentic. And so. And it's, it's really powerful to see your kids go through the exercise because I've never had a parent guess all the characteristics and what was created out of a kid's anti-self.
0: That's really interesting. So this is an exercise, even what age do you have kids go through this?
1: Well, the school I went to, I think they were eight or nine. Um, So as, as young as eight or nine year olds, and you get out some markers or crayons or paint or whatever it is. And you really just help them understand like, who are you? And often the younger they are, the more they're, they're thinking of like superheroes or like something they've seen in cartoons or are, are usually the inspirations. Um, when you get to their anti-self, what that does is it helps you paint a picture. It helps them paint for you a picture of what's going on internally that they can't articulate into words. And so I've had so many children share with their parents their anti self like I had one girl uh, when I went to a school I think she was like eight or nine years old and the dad thought she was the most upbeat you know fun happy child and she said that her anti self would uh, not finish dinner and run to the bathroom and sit in there for an hour and who knows what was going on in the bathroom too right but the dad had no idea whatsoever. And so what it did was gave him some information for him and his wife to realize that that behavior is what's starting to happen in the household. And otherwise they would have had no idea.
0: That's really fascinating. And I think as parents, I think I really believe that one of the best things, most valuable gifts we can give our kids is a strong mindset and the men- that foundation mentally, much more so than even to your earlier point, the best education that we worry so much often about them having every academic opportunity. But when we look at the long-term data, I'm sure you see this in all the high achievers you work with. A continual thing that separates people is that mindset component and things like growth mindset versus fixed mindset, but also like being able to break free of that victim mentality and believe that you have the power to affect the outcome. So, as a parent, I'm really curious: are there more strategies like that that we can implement early on with our kids to really give them the gift of that mindset early?
1: Well, I'll send I'll send you over. I did this exercise on Doctor Phil when I went into a school, so I'll send that over to you. Which it's it's if I was a parent, I would be doing this with my kid. Absolutely, without a doubt. Um, it's off my first book, Dust Self. And it it literally will tell you what is going on in your child's brain that they're not articulating to you. It's also going to give you signs and symptoms of addiction, depression, anxiety disorders. You know, one of the businesses I've owned for 15 years is a treatment center. So I've dealt with Thousands of families, and what happens when somebody ends up having to go to treatment or loses control of their mindset. And so, this all does start at a very young age. I think that I've seen there's a lot of confusion around food, eating disorders. A lot of this, especially for the younger females, I find is so prevalent, especially with social media and being in the house. And typically, that comes from a parent where the child feels like they're being controlled a lot. They feel like they're so controlled that the one thing they can control is food. That's a pattern I've seen so many times. Parent doesn't realize it, they're doing the best they can, but they're projecting their own emotions onto them. I think it's also really helpful to establish like fun bonding time, like actually understanding what your child wants to do by giving them options. you know, Like sometimes a kid will grow up in a family where the family loves football, so they think they should just play football. But a parent should give their child, and I know the parent really wants their kid to play football and go to their high school and they have a whole vision for their kid. But think about it. I mean, if the kids in sports are fantastic, as we know through research and everything, there's a lot of sports, there's a lot of communities. Really what it is, it's community, right? Yes, it's athletics. It's fantastic for the body. But, you know, from my, from my experience, you're born into this family system. It's easier for the parents to have their son go play football. But giving the son experiences and some options, even though you really want them to play football, is healthy. Because it's giving them the freedom to start choosing what they enjoy. They won't get resentful later on like they had to do it. And I think that's something that parents seem to think, from my experience, that their kids suddenly should become an Ohio State fan just because they were. It's like, you know, help a kid figure out like who they are, how they want to live in the life, what they really love, because they're all such authentic, brilliant little creatures, you know, and, and we have to. We have to let that come out, you know?
0: I'm so glad you brought up that point because I think there's many ways this plays out. And like you said, food seems to be a very common one um, and one that every parent has to navigate because we all have to feed our children. But it's hard, I think, when, especially as a mom, when your baby's literally grown in your body to not, to break that mindset and realize as soon as they come out, they are separate of us and they are their own person. And I think maybe like community and culture is the, the beautiful way to do that. Like Create a community and culture in your family and in your small environment that they want to be part of rather than maybe forcing that dynamic. And probably that Mm -hmm. goes a, a lot farther away, but when it even comes to the food situation or as they become teenagers, maybe the alcohol situation, things like that, it seems like psychologically they are geared to need to separate from the family at some point and to figure out their own path. And to the degree that we try to inhibit that, we almost force them to do that more because they're not able to go through that normal developmental stage. And, I know it's hard as a parent. I'm right there too with teenagers, but it seems like any time, like to your point, we can give them options and autonomy and let them make decisions in a safe way. We're really actually empowering them and probably increasing the chances of them wanting to be part of our family culture versus demanding it. Are there any other things we can do to kind of try to break that control dynamic? I think of things like maybe with food of, like even though I'm in the health world and we eat healthy at home, I view it as my responsibility is to cook. I cook clean food but their responsibility is to decide if they're hungry or not. And if they're not hungry or they don't like it, I will never force them to eat. And if they're not in my home, if they're with a friend, I don't try to control their food choices. They're responsible for making food choices and learning the consequences of those food choices. But I'm curious, like, are there strategies you give to parents to help break that control dynamic? Because it's hard when we love our kids so, so much.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I I think there's, uh, everyone is... Uh has their own authentic idea around you know what it means to support versus do it for them to control versus you know keep safe, and so everyone's a little bit different from my experience working with families it's 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 really important to allow and encourage someone to make decisions and make mistakes. You know, if somebody has choices and they make a decision, let's say to, there's a lot of freedom that happens because it starts to build resilience inside of someone when they make mistakes. Mistakes are fantastic. Realizing what you don't like or you didn't enjoy doing blank activity, that's fantastic. It's not, oh, I'm so sorry that you didn't love it. It's more like, ooh, that's really good to know that you don't like that. And if you can teach your kids just that flip of obstacles becoming opportunities, it's, they're they're gonna be so resilient, period. Coddling them when they had a bad experience is not going to build resilience.
0: Yeah, and that seems to be a commonality of uh, biographies. I've read of successful people, that idea that, and even in the stoicism idea, the obstacle is the way. And if you can frame it as, there's a lesson in this. And and I know like it's hard to do in the moment, certainly, but I can now look back even in like my most severe trauma during high school and say, honestly, I'm so grateful that happened. I wouldn't have chosen it. I would never choose it for my kids, but I'm so grateful it happened because it taught me so many things. And so I think if, yeah, you're right. If we can give our kids that mindset early on, that's a huge key to them being able to face challenges without falling into those fear, stress, and anxiety loops you talked about.
1: Correct and setting it up so they don't have a victim mentality as they navigate life where they think there's a reward system because if the reward is coming from mom or dad who are the most important relationships in a kid's life then it starts to teach a kid that behaving this type of way or if an experience is unpleasant and you complain that there's going to be this reward of nurturing or you don't have to feel that type of way but later in life that's not how life works. That's not how business works. That's not, maybe in the academic system, it's gonna be coded a certain type of way that's gonna be hypersensitive to everyone's, uh, every, you know, trying to be sensitive to every emotion. But once you get out of college, it's just not like that anymore. And, and it's not what people find attractive in partners or relationships, you know, and, and it's, but it's such a great opportunity to change that conversation in, you know, your kid's head. I think that's the fact that you, you know, I don't even remember people like you, Katie, when I was growing up, who would, you know, provide advice to someone like my mom, you know, she would just flip on the television, you know, 15 stations. And so parents now have such an opportunity to learn so much.
0: It's true The the benefits of technology give us all this, we still have to be careful of how we curate that, I think, because it's also got its downsides. But you're right, we have the ability to learn from all of these amazing people throughout history at our fingertips and to teach our kids very much um, in the same way. This episode is brought to you by wellness. That's wellness with an E on the end. My new personal care line of products that are natural and good for you, hair care, toothpaste, hand sanitizer, and more. You've likely heard that much of what you put on your skin is absorbed into your body, which is a good reason to avoid harmful products. And I feel like many of us do, but you can also use this to your advantage by putting beneficial things on your body. Realizing that many of my closest friends and even family members still used certain conventional personal care products, even though they cleaned up many other parts of their diet and wouldn't dream of eating processed food or using harmful cleaners, but they weren't willing to sacrifice how they looked and felt when it came to personal care products. I set out to create alternatives that outperformed the existing conventional options, but without harmful ingredients and with beneficial ingredients that benefit the body from the outside in, and thus wellness was born. Our good for you hair care and mineral rich toothpaste nourish your body from the outside in, while you hopefully nourish it from the inside out to have amazing hair and teeth. Check it out and learn more At wellness.com that's wellness with an e on the end w-e-l-l-n-e-s-s-e.com this podcast is sponsored by olipop natural sodas they use functional ingredients that combine the benefits of prebiotics plant fibers and botanicals to support your microbiome and benefit your digestive health 90% of Americans consume more than the USDA's daily recommended added sugar intake, which is 30 grams. In fact, many of us consume way, way more than that. And sweetened beverages like soda are one of the leading sources of added sugars in the American diet. Olipop is much, much lower in sugar than conventional sodas with only two to five grams of sugar from natural sources, no added sugars. Here's an example. Their vintage cola has just two grams of sugar compared to a regular cola, which has 39 grams of sugar, which means one can is more than the added sugar recommended for an entire day. Their orange squeeze has five grams of sugar compared to other orange sodas, which clock in at 44 grams of sugar. And all of their products are non-GMO, vegan, paleo, and keto friendly with less than eight grams of net carbs per can. I've worked out a special deal just for Wellness Mama podcast listeners. You can save 15% off your entire purchase from Olipop. I recommend starting with their variety pack, unless you already know your favorite flavors. And the variety pack is a great way to try all of the flavors that they have. My favorites are the strawberry and the orange, but my kids really like the review. Check them all out by going to drinkollipop.com forward slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama at checkout to claim the deal. That's D R I N K O L I P O P dot com slash wellness mama. You can also find them in stores across the country, including Kroger, Whole Foods, and more. I think you touched on something that it leads into another question I wanted to ask, which is the idea of motivation, both self motivation and curating motivation in our kids, because I think it's actually really illustrative of both in that how you mentioned we don't want to just this with our kids in a reward system. So they're dependent on external rewards for their own motivation. And I think this applies to us as adults as well. But yet I see people kind of falling into that idea of trying to motivate themselves through some kind of external reward versus intrinsically. And I know uh, you said if you could give a TED talk on any topic, it would be one of them would be why motivational talks alone don't work. And I think this is such an important point because whether it's trying to lose weight or get healthier or make any kind of lasting life change we have to have that ability to stick to it. And I I have read some of your work. So I think this is a really important topic. How do we navigate the motivation component?
1: Well, I think it's figuring out what is authentic for us and what is authentic for our kids. And it's always evolving. We're always evolving. So what worked yesterday may not work in the future. So for some people, it's figuring out, okay, what is going to create inspiration for some people it's motivation you know sometimes motivation it is creating a reward system that if you know the child cleans up after themselves and takes out the trash and does what's necessary as part of the household then you know it may be that there is uh dinner you know consistently if that happens so many times there's dinner at your favorite restaurant together or what have you like that that to me is all healthy and it's um, it's a part of teaching people that good things happen when you show up in the family, in your own life. But everyone's different. So for some people, I found it's music. It's figuring out, listen, turn on that nostalgic song that you loved in high school or in college and sit there for five to 10 minutes and just chill with it. Like, just chill. And what I've found nine times out of 10 when I've helped people do this, unless they're completely unwilling to look at life any different. And they're so, no, I'm gonna be stressed out and I don't wanna feel any type of way. It's not gonna work. But if someone has a little bit of openness, music is tremendous if that's something that vibrates through you and changes you. For some people, it's exercise. For some people, it's gonna be breathing. For some people, it's journaling. For some people, it's community. So it's just knowing yourself and understanding, here are the different things that get me charged up to be inspired and motivated.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, I think that the point you mentioned is the internal key that we all have to navigate, which is being willing to make the change. And I learned for myself, like for a lot of years, I thought I was willing to make the changes, but because of some past trauma stuff, I actually, there were parts of my brain that were saying it's not safe to make these changes. And so sometimes there's things where we have to deal with a core thing, um, often that seems to go back to childhood so that we can be in a mental space to be willing to actually make the changes. And then so often the motivation can stem much more easily beyond that point. And I think it seems like many of us, even high achievers that I talk to, Uh, emerge from childhood with kind of one of these core limiting beliefs something along the lines of maybe I'm not good enough or I'm not lovable or I'm not worth whatever the there so I'm curious do you run into that with your high achievers and if so how do you help them to work through that
1: well I mean I run through this with everyone you know they all have a committee unless there's just extreme narcissism I mean then it's hard to get through like what okay you know why, why am I here then? Why, what do you need me for? But yeah, I mean, we all wanna be loved and we all get imposter syndrome or feeling like we're a fraud at times or we're not good enough. And I think it's, we look for external validation because sometimes we just don't feel enough today. But you know, I, from my experience, it's having that insight. When you know what you're actually thinking, there's relief in it because you know you're actually thinking it and you have the ability to make decisions to change the way you think but that you bring up a good point because if you're able to say look like i've i've had this long-standing belief that i'm i'm not good enough or i'm not lovable then there's a place to work from to go like well what would make me feel more lovable is this even realistic like where did i create this story you know and sometimes I find working with other people is just tremendous because it helps us find our blind spots. You know, doing this all alone, some people are capable. I almost look at like, they're the person in school who doesn't need to be a part of any study committees. They can do it themselves. They're focused, but at a certain point, just connecting with other people who have had that same feeling or feel the way you do is a game changer.
0: Absolutely. And and that goes back to that idea of community as well, which I think we know from the statistics, at least on the health side, um, having strong community in our daily life is actually one of the most important things we can do for health and longevity. It's actually more important than not smoking or exercising. Like it's drastically important. And so I think maybe that's a key as well is if that's something that's one of those areas of your sphere that's lacking, maybe that's a really important one to prioritize. And certainly one I feel like a lot of people um, are struggling with after this past year. The community has been hard for a lot of people after this past year. Do you have any tips for um, curating a community? Because I don't feel like it happens as naturally as it used to. For my grandma, it was like you had a community built in in your neighborhood or with your family. And in today's very virtual world and very fast-paced world, that's changed so much. And I feel like we have to be much more proactive about really creating this now.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think... Um... It's such an opportunity to find a community. Like I go to jiu-jitsu. I started going to jujitsu eight months ago. I'm 41 years old. I'm six foot five, 275 pounds. I'm built like a tree, right? So, but I went, uh-oh, there's not a, like I'm a recovering alcoholic. So I could go to recovery meetings. I like jiu-jitsu. I could go to jiu-jitsu. I like fitness. I could join a fitness group. There's so many different types of communities I think sometimes we don't stick around long enough to realize where the love is like we kind of go into it maybe feeling a little insecure but there's there's such the virtual communities yes it's great to have a virtual community but there's something about being able to connect with people in person you know religion has figured this thing out better than anyone on earth i mean they've those communities they're just like you know they they're they're like businesses they help like and so if someone's a part of really i'm not but like it's figuring out for yourself what is going to create that love and how can you give love back how are you adding to something too so and figuring out something because your kids are going to get older so it's not just being a part of school communities
0: yeah you're right i think that's a good point that we can learn from that, even if I think you're right. Religious traditions have, have gotten this right for a long time. And I think a huge part of the, their importance in people's life is that community aspect. But they do things that we can all learn from, even if like you, that's not a big part of your life of they meet regularly. And they focus on growth toward a common goal and things like that. So just having those factors, you can unite around other common goals or get together regularly in other atmospheres. But um, you're right. I think that's an easy place for a lot of people, like the most natural place where they can kind of plug into that. But for people who aren't in a a religious community, that's a a great thing to learn from and to create maybe in some other area of life.
1: For sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, are you what communities are you a part of?
0: So ours locally has been kind of amazing, actually due to COVID, it got even better. Uh, Geographically, we live in an area with a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of homeschoolers. So we've been able to unite around those things. And then even um, we live near a pole vault facility. So my kids all pole vault and they've united around the idea of an athletic activity and um, things like that. So ours is very geographic and thankfully is like that 1950s neighborhood where you're close to all your friends. And I'm extremely grateful for that. But I haven't always had that either. In the past, I've had to be much more intentional about forming that and inviting people over. And I tell people that's also a key is if you don't have it naturally, be the one that starts it, be the one that puts yourself out there and invites people over or be the house where everybody's always welcome. And teenagers can always come hang. Like my kids, friends are welcome anytime, any day. I will feed any children in my house. I always wanted to be the place where my kids felt that they wanted to to hang out and to bring their friends to hang out. And then by ripple of that, I've become really great friends with some of those parents and built friendships as well. But I think in today's world, the lesson is you just have to sometimes be the one who puts yourself out there and that creates it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And you also talk a lot about the idea of making authentic decisions. And I think this is another really key point and one that is also harder in the modern world because we have so many distractions and so many forces that are competing to tell us what are the types of decisions we should make and what's important and what's not. Um, So talk about that and the idea of authentic decisions and how you know what what that is and how to do
1: it. Well, you know, I think it's uh, the challenges when we don't necessarily need, we can't, okay. So there's, I created uh, one decision called the force, right? So force is an acronym and the F is for fortune telling the hack to it is fact finding. And so to fortune tell would be essentially that we could predict what's going to happen. And so we're not really making authentic decisions if we're just trying to lean into what we're expecting the result is going to be, or we just think other people are doing this, so I'm going to do it too. And so it's really hard sometimes to know for ourselves what is authentic when we're in fear of any kind. And so... I think there's so many decisions we make every day that are just kind of on autopilot. They don't really matter. And then there's the decisions that maybe are more critical decisions where we're figuring all right, what is our authentic decision in this sense? And there's no like good or bad decisions. Like they're just decisions. And because in hindsight, we could look back at our life and go, gosh, I'm so glad I did that. I wasn't going to do that. And then we try to go. Well, that that what was that authentic? Was that not authentic? But I think authenticity. It's really just trying to get honest with self. It's like making decisions from an honest point and understand what your intention is. It's really what it is. And cre- if you need to create an avatar to help you go through making those decisions authentically, sometimes it's helpful to be like, well, what would uh, Kangaroo Katie do? Well, she'd hop right into the mix, and she would. Basically, show up and you know, so it's it's identity, it sounds so simple, but it kind of is.
0: Yeah. And I think that's another important life lesson is sometimes it doesn't have to be this complicated. You know, sometimes we want to create all these elaborate strategies and systems, and sometimes those are needed, but sometimes it's not. And sometimes it doesn't have to be that hard. And I know for me, one of those internal things was I had this script of like, oh, if only this, this, and this happen, then I will be happy. And then I eventually realized. I can actually just choose happiness now and I can choose to accept my body now and I can choose community now, even until I'm still working on these other things. And we have like, to your earlier point, we have the ability and the power when we take responsibility for things to make those decisions. We don't have to wait on all the external factors to line up for us.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you nailed it.
0: Well, and as we get close to the end of time, a few other questions I love to ask. Um, The first being, if there's any other areas uh, that are commonly misunderstood or that there are misconceptions about um, when it comes to the work that you do.
1: Yeah, I think there's misunderstandings that you need to pay to be coached. Like there's so many coaching programs out there. So it's kind of created this like, to me, like this, this belief that like, you have to sign up for this program or this program in order to get what you need. But there's so many free resources out there. Like I have a free group, which I'd love for you to speak at. It's our empowerment group every Tuesday, 5 p.m. Pacific time. Like our next group is all about an expert coming in talking about grief. And how do you, how do you deal with loss? And it's over zoom with like 400 people and like it's free. And then we have a food and wellness group on, Wednesdays at 4pm, it's free and it's community of people really interested in a healthier lifestyle. And so podcasts free. And so sometimes I think people maybe will pay to think that they're unless you're joining a community. I don't know if you best time and energy spent is, you know, paying $20,000 for someone's executive program. I know that doesn't help my business but I'm just saying like that's not that's one miss miss what you say misconception is that you need in order to advance or evolve or grow in your life that like these quote gurus have figured it out and you must do it
0: that's a good one yeah I think you're right and I tell my kids to like, we take an alternative approach to education, but we literally have access to more than the library of Alexandria right here on our phone. Like we, all the resources are there. We have access to them. Like through podcasts, through the internet, you can find all of these resources for free. And I think there is value sometimes to paying for a specific program. If it helps you stick to it and to having a more one-on-one approach for very specific things, but to get started, there's so much already available that's there. And
1: And if you, if you, if you have the money, right? Like, if you don't have the money, I I just chill a bit. Like, you know, like, and, and the other is there's people want to help people. People want to share wisdom. So by asking someone to get coffee with you and to tell more of their story, it's a compliment to them. You're not actually, you may feel insecure, like you're being needy, but people love to share. Now they're not going to do it for you. They're not going to necessarily go make introductions, no expectations, But people love to teach other people as long as there's no drama and as long as there's no like feeling like they have to do something. But if they're just giving their wisdom, one of the greatest moments for so many people is being able to teach other people. And I know sometimes there's this, I don't know, I don't want to call so-and-so because you know I don't want to bother that you're not bothering them. They would love to tell you.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then that's a great jumping in point to community as well. And
1: yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: I love that. Um, Another question I love to ask is obviously other than your own that I'll link to in the show notes, is there a book or a number of books that have had a profound impact on your life? And if so, what they are and why?
1: Yeah. So I mean, there's several. I love uh, Terry Brooks novels, which are fantasy. So there's this book called Swords of Shannara, which I just love fantasy in every format and type. I mean, I'm a sober guy, so Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book is great. It's pretty cheap. It's like 17 bucks, and it's a guide if you want to get off drinking. There's a book called The Young Quiet Mind by Kay Rafford Jameson, and it's uh, all about bipolar disorder from her perspective as a psychiatrist who has it. I mean, I'm, I'm more either fantasy or mental health driven in terms of the types of books that I really love.
0: I love it. I It's on my list to get better at reading more fiction because I tend to like go into the deep sciency stuff. So I'll make sure those are linked in the show notes.
1: Oh, Terry Brooks is so good. He's so talented.
0: That's a new recommendation. I'll make sure it's linked to that. I guess ties in with the wizard and the male witch and all of that kind of tied into your own life.
1: Yeah, you got it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I put, I my, if you saw my house, you'd see wizards and color and it's even like my logo's a wizard because I, rem- I have to remind myself, we all have to have reminders in our life to help nudge us along the way of being our best selves. So
0: I love it. And yeah, that's definitely been the theme of this episode is all those factors, both positive and negative to help you become your best self. And with that in mind, do you have any parting advice for anyone listening today?
1: I mean, this sounds so cliche, but it's just for the last year. It's just life is short. Life is just happening and do it today. You don't have to wait. You can just start going at it today and make those changes, make those decisions today. You know, you're not really working on it if you're not doing it today. You know, and so might as well just do it today and make one decision towards a better life.
0: I love that quote. You're not really working on it if you're not doing it today.
1: Everyone says that. I'm always like, well, well I'm working on that. Well, how are you working on that? Well, I, I think about it. Oh, you think about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well. We don't have to wait for a Monday or the first of a month. Right, or... right. Yeah, exactly. Just get started. And there are so many quotes along those lines that just taking that first step or action makes other action easier. Just do do the small thing and start going. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I know how busy you are. I appreciate the time today. This has been a really fun interview and thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Katie. I appreciate you and uh look forward to uh following up and seeing all of what you're doing. I'm just, I think you're amazing, uh, spreading the love and the message. So thank you very much.
0: Oh, thank you. And thanks to all of you guys for listening and for sharing your most valuable resources, your time and your energy with us today. We're both so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the wellness mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me?